Let's pray as we come to read from God's Word and uh, read Ruth chapter 4, our last part in this um, Ruth sermon series. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word and we thank you for the book of Ruth. And, and Lord, I want to thank you personally for the number of encouragements I've received as we've gone through this sermon series of the, the ways you're working in people's lives, the, work, the way you are speaking to people. And Lord, I thank you that this morning you've already demonstrated that you are a God who wants to speak to us through the words that have been brought. And Lord, I pray you would continue to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've come to a, our fourth and final sermon from the book of Ruth. And presumably we've come this morning full of questions. Will Boaz and Ruth finally get together? Or will this other guy, this other relative step in and, and fulfil um, his kinsman redeemer role? Will Naomi have a family again? Will the family name be continued through a grandchild? I hope you're coming full of questions. What's going to happen? This is the ultimate biblical rom-com in Ruth chapter 4. Um, I made myself laugh as I was reading my notes this morning because I forgot that I'd written that in my notes. The ultimate biblical rom-com. I hope you're excited. Let's read Ruth chapter 4 and we're going to read verses 1 to 22. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire the Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Marlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephathra and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. 
Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of that neighbourhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Last week I preached on Ruth chapter 3 and this slightly bizarre but amazing moment where Ruth proposes to Boaz essentially and now we have the happy ending that we were all hoping for but no one knew was coming this morning that Ruth and Boaz finally do get together and, and Ruth is blessed and Naomi is blessed with a family. My sermon this morning, although I forgot to put it in the PowerPoint, my sermon this morning is called The Willing Redeemer. But as I begin to preach, I want us to think first about the unwilling redeemer in the story that I just read to you. This unnamed relative of Naomi who is first in line to redeem Naomi's land and to take Ruth's hand in marriage. Have a look at verse four in the passage. Boaz says to this man, there's a parcel of land that belongs to Naomi. She can't work it. Um, I'm providing her with food, so she's okay, but she can't work this field. Would you redeem, would you buy the land from Naomi and own this land? And of course, the man's answer is yes, I will have extra land, of course I will. It's an easy yes. But then look at verses five and six in this passage. When Boaz says, if you take the land, you will also need to marry Ruth and have children with her so that Naomi's family, family line can continue. And this family will keep their inheritance, will keep the land that has been given to their family for generation after generation. And how does this man respond? Look at verse six. I cannot I cannot take the land. I cannot take Ruth as my wife. I cannot take this land and then give it back to her sons. No, I cannot do this lest I impair my own inheritance. If there's no land on offer, because this is what would happen, is he would marry Ruth uh, and he would take ownership of the land until they had a son who would grow old enough to work the land and then the land would return to the son. And so the land would stay in the family that always has been. So, so suddenly now there's no benefit to be had, according to this man. There's a season of benefit where he has the land, but after that he has to give the land back. And so this man, this unnamed relative in Ruth chapter 4 says, no land, no benefit, I am not interested. It's a selfish response to the situation. It's actually a shameful response to the situation. This will inconvenience me, he thinks. This might impair my own inheritance. I'm going to suffer if I, if I take up this option. He seeks only... <laughs> he seeks only his own gain. Okay for me to continue, Johnny. Yeah, okay. (laughs) 
So as a symbol of exchanging his redemption, of giving his redemption right to Boaz, this man in verses 7 and 8 takes off his sandal. Now, it says in the passage that this was the custom at the time. This is how you would acknowledge that a right of redemption was being passed from one man to another man. But do you know that this is not actually what should have happened? Last week, I read from Deuteronomy 25, and I'm going to go back there this morning and read to you what actually should have happened after this man said no. So this is Deuteronomy 5, uh, sorry, 25, verses 5 to 10. And this is what the law of God says. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as a wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother. And his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, Then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. So do you see what actually should have happened in Ruth chapter four is that Ruth marches into the city, pulls off his sandal and spits in this man's face because what he has done is selfish and shameful. He has, been, he has said, I'm looking after my own family and I'm not looking after Ruth, the Moabite. I'm not looking after Naomi, whose family has died in, in horrible circumstances in Ruth chapter one. It's a shameful answer. It's a shameful response of this man and he deserves to have his face spat in. This is what the Bible teaches. And do you know what that shows us this morning? It shows us that our God deeply, deeply cares for widows and it is a shameful thing to refuse to help them. What this man deserves, according to our God, who loves those who are poor and needy, is that Ruth would spit in his face. And this idea that God cares for widows and loves those who are in need is all over the Bible. Exodus 22, 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or the, fa- or the fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. Isaiah 1 verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Deuteronomy 10 verses 17 to 18, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. 1 Timothy 5 verses 9 to 16 is a letter written to Timothy, a church leader, and it's based, Paul's writing to Timothy, basically saying the church needs to have a system for caring for widows in your church. This is really important for the life of the church. And of course, James 1 verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, 
to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Do you see? God. Those are just a handful of verses that I've chosen. I could have chosen hundreds, thousands of verses that speaks about God's love for widows, that speaks about God's love for orphans, that speaks of God's care for refugees and foreigners in the land, that speaks about our God caring for the poor and for the needy. Thousands of verses in the Bible. This is crucially important to our God. He loves those who are in need and he cares for them. And so firstly, we say that in this community, in our family, in the church, no one is ever left uncared for. Everyone always has all that they need. That We've got to live this out as the church. No one in this community ever goes without something that they need. And I even say this, if there's anyone outside this community, maybe watching online, if the only reason you rock up to church on a Sunday morning is because you need help, whether you be a widow or an orphan or you can't pay your bills, do you know what? We're not going to turn you away. We're not going to push you out the door. If, that, if you turn up and say, I'm just here because I'm desperate and I need help, we're not going to push you away. We're going to say, come and join us. Come and be part of our community and we will love and care for you. I would love it if this room was full of people who were just in desperate need and they come because we love people And they stay because they hear the good news of Jesus Christ and believe in him. Come because you have earthly need and we will help you. But you will find something way more glorious than earthly help. You'll find eternal salvation with Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters in the church, I charge you to be people after God's heart. Not only caring for people within this community, but also on the front foot to care for orphans and widows and the needy around us. I want to ask you a difficult a question to consider. How can you do that this week? Maybe you could buy lunch for a homeless person. Maybe you could tell the church about one of your neighbours who can't afford to pay their bills and we will put money towards that. Maybe you might invite a lonely person, perhaps a widow, over for dinner this week. Invite them into your home, feed them and build a relationship with them. How can you love the people that God loves in the week ahead. I don't want to be like this man in Ruth chapter 4 who deserves to have his face spat in. I want to be like Boaz, who is the willing redeemer in the story. And I want to be like Christ, who when he saw someone in need when he walked this earth, he helped them and always did what he could. And you know what? In order to be like Boaz, in order to be like Christ, I'm prepared for my inheritance to be impaired. I'm prepared to suffer loss. I'm prepared to invest time and energy to be like my saviour. Are you willing to suffer loss in order to care for the people who need caring for? So we've considered the unwilling redeemer in Ruth chapter 4. But let's enter into the story, Boaz, the stark contrast, the man who is more than willing to redeem Ruth and to marry her. Verses 9 and 10, Boaz speaks before the elders he's gathered in the town and he says, You are witnesses that this day 
that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belongs to Kilion and Marlon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Marlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So Boaz announces before his witnesses that he is a willing redeemer. Naomi benefits. Boaz pays her money for the field that she owns. So suddenly she has the resources she needs to buy the food that she needs to survive. Ruth faced hopelessness, poverty. The life that was before Ruth, before Boaz stepped in to redeem her, was a a life of simply working the field, going after the harvesters, gleaning as much food, bringing it back to Naomi, just gathering enough each day that she might survive. Ultimately, what did Ruth face? Death and her family name being completely cut off. We wouldn't have the book of Ruth. We wouldn't know anything about her at all. She would die and she would have no children to continue the family name. But this lady who faced helplessness, poverty and death is redeemed by Boaz into security, provision and love. And for 2000 years well, in fact, more than 2,000 years, this act of redemption has been remembered. But for 2,000 years since Christ, preachers in church have stood up and preached about Boaz as a picture of Jesus Christ's redemption. Boaz, the willing redeemer, foreshadows the ultimate redeemer who was to come into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to use the kind of formal theological language, you would say Boaz is a type of Christ. It is typology. He is a type that points to the real thing, the real ultimate redeemer to come. And so as we read this story of Boaz redeeming Ruth and and helping Naomi, we are to think of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. And I'm excited to lead us in thinking about Christ's redemption, the way he has redeemed us and saved us. And in order to do that, I want to read to you from Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. This is what is written in the book of Titus about Christ our Redeemer. Titus 2, 11 to 14 says this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is what Titus teaches us. This is what the Bible teaches us, is that Christ gave himself upon the cross in order to redeem us from our sin, to redeem us from our lawlessness, that we might be rescued, that we might come under his wings and be provided for, receive comfort from God, that we might receive everlasting protection from Christ, our Redeemer. And I notice several similarities between the redemption of Boaz and the redemption of Christ. Firstly, both Boaz uh, Boaz redeems Ruth and Christ redeems us from hopelessness and death. Ruth had a bleak future, scavenging food. One day Naomi would die and Ruth would be lonely. And one day Ruth would die and all memory of her family 
would be cut off and no longer exist within Israel. And from this hopelessness and death, she is redeemed. Without Christ, people do not have hope beyond death. The Bible teaches us that no one is righteous, not one. And that all who die without Christ are worthy of God's punishment for their sins. If you are without Christ this morning, you do not have hope beyond death. You will die and then face judgment. But we would hope that you would be redeemed, that you would receive salvation from Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and our Saviour. This is what Christ redeems us from, this place of hopelessness and death into something so much more glorious. Instead of hopelessness, Christians have blessed hope. Instead of death, Christians have blessed life, and not just life, but life eternal forever and ever. And so both Boaz and Christ redeems from hopelessness and death. The second similarity is it not, it's not just redemption from something, but it's redemption into something. Boaz redeems Ruth into a family inheritance. Her name will continue. Her offspring will own the land of her ancestors. And so there's a great inheritance that Ruth now has to look forward to. And at the end of the chapter, we just saw how wonderful that inheritance to come truly was because she, one of her descendants is a king of Israel. She has a glorious inheritance. We're getting there. We're coming to that. But anyway, there's a glorious inheritance that she is redeemed into. And the same way, Christ does not just redeem us from death, from hopelessness. He gives us a glorious inheritance. Let me tell you something, just something, a glimpse of the inheritance you have received. If you are a believer in Christ this morning, if you have been redeemed, this is part of your inheritance. Knowing God forever and ever. Isn't that glorious that that's part of what you've inherited by Christ? He's redeemed you into knowing God forever and ever. A new heavens and a new earth to come is part of your inheritance. One day we will live upon the earth and it will be perfect paradise and God will dwell with us on the earth. He's going to renew everything, recreate all things and we're going to dwell in this inheritance for eternity. In this inheritance, no more death, no more tears. Anything that's caused you sadness in your life will be eradicated and forever you will live with perfect joy in your heart on this perfect new heavens and new earth, this inheritance that is coming for you. And this inheritance is described in the Bible as imperishable. It will never perish. It will never die. It's described as unfading. It will not fade. I like to think that actually heaven will become more vivid and glorious every moment we're there. It it's not going to, you know, sometimes you might worry, think about eternity. You think, well, the first day will be good, but what about the second day? What about 50 years? What about a thousand years? Are you going to get bored of heaven? No, it's unfading. It's, gonna, it's not going to fade. It's going to get even more glorious as we go through it. And the Bible also describes this inheritance as undefiled, no imperfections, perfectly spotless and glorious. And this is the redemption of Christ from hopelessness and death into the most glorious inheritance that is imperishable, unfading and undefiled. Let me show you another similarity between Boaz's redemption and Christ's redemption. It's redemption at a price. 
Boaz bought the field and paid Naomi. A small price, perhaps. I don't know. It doesn't tell us how much he actually paid to redeem, but he paid a price. But we know that Christ, for our redemption and for our inheritance, paid a greater sum. It says in Titus 2 verse 14, he gave himself. That's speaking about the cross, where he gave himself upon the cross. He paid a price. He died in our place. He took the punishment for our sins so that we might be released from the curse of our lawlessness. That we might be redeemed from darkness into light. Christ on the cross shed his blood. His blood was the redemption price that was paid. And so it was a great price that was paid. But redemption won. Redemption paid. Christ considered it worth it to pay that price to redeem us. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He loved us so much. He said, I'm going to pay this price, though it is a dear price to pay. I will give myself upon the cross and I will die in place in order to redeem us into his glorious inheritance. And that leads me on to my fourth and final similarity between Boaz's redemption and Christ's redemption. Both Boaz and Christ were willing redeemers of love. Boaz did not mind the risk of impairing his own inheritance. He was willing to redeem Ruth. Well, why was he so willing? Well, I don't just think it was because he was an honourable man who understood the law of God. I think there are hints throughout the book that Boaz genuinely loves Ruth and is delighted to marry her, delighted when she proposes, delighted to help her with food, delighted in this moment to take this field and Ruth as his bride. Why do I think that? Well, look at chapter three. When, when, when Ruth proposes, what does Boaz say to Ruth? I know you are a worthy woman. It's a, it's a high compliment that he pays to her. And in chapter two, Boaz says, I've heard what you've done for Naomi. And also in chapter three, he says, this is a great kindness that you've done to me, Ruth. I, I think Boaz truly loves Ruth in this story. So I'm reading between the lines a little bit in the story. It doesn't, it doesn't say Boaz's heart throbbed with love for this woman. No, but I'm just reading between the lines. And I think Boaz truly loved Ruth. And that's why it, it was a joy for Boaz to redeem Ruth in this situation. Now, when we consider Christ... I do not need to read between the lines to know that he loves us so deeply. Let me just give you one verse. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul speaking, he says, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christians, if you're a Christian, each and every one of you can be completely assured of Christ's love for you. How do you know that he loved you? He died for you on the cross. He displayed for all the world to see that he loved you. That's why he went to the cross, because he loved you. He redeemed you and he died for you because of his love. And let me tell you the truth. Boaz's love for Ruth pales in comparison with the love of Christ for his people. I, I love that Titus verse that describes us as his treasured possession, you and me. That is why Christ loves us. He, he redeemed us that we might be his treasured possession because he loves us. So Boaz is a redeemer who acts righteously 
and acts in kindness throughout the story of Ruth. But who is the true, ultimate, willing redeemer? It's Jesus Christ. He willingly offered up himself upon the cross that we might be redeemed from hopelessness and death into an inheritance that will never perish by paying a great price through his crucifixion and the shedding of his blood all because he loves us. He died willingly in our place because he loves us. Oh, how wonderful is our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Love him as your redeemer. Praise him as the one who redeemed you in such a glorious, glorious way. Now, perhaps I should just finish there and just pray and we'll just worship. But the story has not quite finished yet in the book of Ruth. There is more grace for God to show to this amazing family. The witnesses in verse 11 cry out. Boaz has said, I'm going to marry Ruth. And this is what the witnesses cry out. May the Lord make the woman like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. That's a really funny thing to shout to me in my mind. I preached on um, Rachel and Leah a couple of years ago in the church. And the reason I preached on it is because it's a story of sin and mess and jealousy and rivalry and pain and sorrow. And yet through the story, through the mess in Genesis 29 and 30, God builds up the house of Israel. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph and Benjamin are all born from this weird marriage relationship thing where Jacob is married to both Rachel and Leah. They have loads of children. All the tribes of Israel are born from this weird, messy marriage situation. And so why do, the, why do these witnesses cry out? What a weird thing to cry out. May you be like Re- Rachel and Leah who fought for the affections of their husband and had right. No, what are they saying? They're saying through mess and pain and trial, may God bring favour and do an amazing work in the life of Ruth. And isn't that precisely what's happened already in the story of Ruth? It's been sinful. It's been difficult. There's been trials. There's been sorrows. And then we come to the end of the story and God has shown his amazing grace. I don't think we should pray for pain and trials and difficulty in our marriages, but we should pray that through the trials that come through life and through family life, that God does amazing things through our relationships. And oh boy, did God answer that prayer that those witnesses cried out. I'm still getting ahead of myself. We're not quite there yet. In verse 12, they say something different. May your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. Now, I'm not going to tell you the story of um, Judah and Tamar and Perez, but that's even more horrifying a story. It's a horrifying story. You can go and look it up um, when you get home. It's another messy, horrible story, but God, in his grace, brings life into this family. So Boaz and Ruth get married, and they conceive and have a son. This amazing moment in this family. And the woman, the witnesses were speaking to Boaz, but now the women say to Naomi, blessed be the Lord. Bless, praise be to God. Blessed be the Lord. Why? You, Naomi, you came back to Bethlehem and you said your life was filled with bitterness and everything was rubbish and there was no hope whatsoever for you. But now 
you have a redeemer in your family. Now you have a restorer of life within your family. You even have a grandson who's going to be a nourisher of you in your old age. And Naomi takes the child upon her lap and nurses the child. The implication, I think, is that Naomi played a really pivotal role in raising this baby who was born. She who was bitter, hopeless, broken and grieving is now joyful and loved and full of hope and restored. This is how our God loves to work. He works in our lives that are sometimes messy and broken and difficult and he brings joy and love and hope and restoration. That's the story of how my conversion, really. I, I, I came to Christ broken and needing forgiveness and God in his love took a messy individual who desperately needed help and I'm still a messy individual who desperately needs help. Um, but he is restoring me, healing me, changing me, filling my heart with love and joy. And we still haven't got to the end of the story because there's one final blessing that is perhaps more glorious than all the others in one sense. This baby who was born, Obed, would have a son called Jesse. And Jesse, even though he was a nobody, really, would have many sons. And his youngest son would be called David. And David is the man who God would one day choose to be king of all Israel. The greatest king Israel ever had in its history in the Old Testament. Cain was a descendant of Ruth, was from the family of Naomi. David would receive a promise from God. This is what God said to King David. One of your sons will reign forever on your throne. One of your sons will reign forever on your throne. And generations later, this promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who comes to earth and, humanly speaking, was a descendant of David. He was the Messiah, the anointed one who would save Israel and would save everyone who placed their faith in him. And he would be and he is the true eternal king who doesn't just reign over Israel, but reigns over all the earth. Do you know when the witnesses, may, may, you, may your wife be like Rachel and Leah that built the nation of Israel? Well, what they should have said is, may God do something so astonishing and astounding, it's going to blow your minds because from your descendants will come a king who will reign over all the earth in justice, peace and love. That's what they should have said if they truly foresaw how gloriously God was knitting together this story to bless Naomi, Ruth and Boaz. We know that when Christ died on the cross for our redemption, he did not remain in the grave, but rises in glory, defeating death. He ascends to heaven and in heaven he sits upon the throne next to his father, God the Father, God the Son, reigning together from heaven. And one day he will return to earth and reign forever here on the earth, the king of peace, the prince of peace, the king of justice, the king of righteousness. Do you know why the earth will be perfect in that day and there'll be no more pain and sorrow? It's because God himself will wipe away our tears. It's because the King Jesus will put all things to rights and reign in glory. And so Naomi, Ruth and Boaz are offered an astounding glorious place in Christian history. 
Naomi the widow, who, who with her husband left Bethlehem during a famine, who lost her entire family through death in Moab. Ruth the Moabite, not even an Israelite, but a foreigner in the land. And Boaz, this man who becomes the redeemer in the story, all written into the history of Jesus Christ's the Saviour. Do you know when you read the genealogy of Jesus at the start of Matthew's Gospel, it's mainly a list of men. This guy was son of this guy, this guy was son of this guy. Do you know who's there in the text? This lady, Ruth, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So I want to finish with a final, simple question. Isn't our God magnificent? Isn't our God magnificent? In Christ, he has sent a redeemer to rescue us from hopelessness and death into a glorious inheritance that will never fade nor perish. And in this story, he has shown his magnificent grace to this family. He's taken them through dark and difficult times. But now in Ruth chapter four, the whole family rejoices. And if only they could see what was coming beyond their lives. And and presumably they will, they have already or will know this glorious thing that God has done through their family. Isn't our God magnificent? And this room is full of people who have similar stories of God doing magnificently glorious things in their lives, taking them from places where they were lost to being found, from darkness into light. You know, we've had plenty of words about being going through dark and difficult times, being in that tunnel in the train, or, or being surrounded by a thunderstorm and difficulty. I want to encourage you, God, in his time, in the right time, because he's infinitely wise and he's infinitely loving, in his time, will turn your situation into glory. There is light coming at the end of the tunnel where God will reveal himself. And even if that's the moment when you die or the moment when Christ returns, there'll be such glorious light in that moment when you see your saviour, when you see your God face to face. It will be truly astonishing and you will say, God has turned me around. He has transformed my life. He has done glorious, glorious, wonderful things. He's shown me grace that is way beyond anything I deserved. He's shown me such love and such kindness in my life because our God is awesome. Our God is awesome. And so I want to fill your hearts with hope as I draw to a close this morning. Fill your hearts with joy at what God has already done in your life and what he's going to do in your life. I also want to remind you of that challenge that I started with through the unwilling redeemer. We take this glorious transformation that Christ has worked in our life as he has redeemed us from our sin and we live it out to love the people around us, living out the heart of God to all who need it in this room, in this community, but also in this town and amongst our neighbours. Christ has redeemed us and so we want to tell the world through our deeds and through our words of what he has done that many would come to see the same thing happen in their life, Christ transforming and redeeming them in glorious love and power. Let me pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is such a wonderful story in Ruth. It starts in darkness and difficulty and pain and sorrow and suffering, and yet it ends with awesome joy because you are the God who turns our mourning into dancing. I thank you that you did it in that story through a redeemer, a man called Boaz. 
But we have a similar and yet way more glorious story in that we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is an awesome redeemer, that he gave his life upon the cross in order to redeem us from hopelessness and from death into eternal life and knowing God forever and forever in a glorious, wonderful inheritance. We just want to praise you, Lord. Make us worshippers, Lord, this morning. Make us worshippers this week because of the awesome, awesome things that you have done through Christ our Redeemer. But Lord, we also pray that we would live out your heart in the world, that we would love the widows and the orphans and the poor and the needy, the foreigners and the refugees and the outsiders. Lord God, give us your heart for the people around us. And I pray that there would never be anyone who is in need in this community, that we would love each other well, like Christ has loved us. So we thank you again for your glorious redemption. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.